Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 111. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And now, more than any other time, now is a time to stay vigilant. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second-degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.44 p.m. Signed, juror four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count two, third-degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four-person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count three, second-degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021, at 1.45 p.m. There it is. Finally. There is a verdict. Finally, there is some justice served. Finally, there is hope for accountability and change in America. And hope is the oxygen of our democracy. Finally, a verdict. It was finally a decision that was not a step back after so many before which is sort of a step forward, finally. One that helps bend the arc of the moral universe tremendously. Now, we all have to make the urgent and necessary changes to policing that last. Because just minutes after that verdict was read, a white police officer in Ohio shot a 16-year-old black girl dead while responding to an emergency call over an attempted stabbing. The 16-year-old teenage girl killed was Makia Bryant. And just days earlier, Chicago police released body cam video footage showing the police killing of 13-year-old Adam Toledo by a white police officer. Toledo is seen in the video holding a handgun and is shot by the officer and less than one second passes from when the 13-year-old is seen holding a handgun and he's shot by the officer. The video is brutal and tragic. And it reminds me of too many videos and situations we saw when I was deployed to Iraq. Chicago's streets shouldn't look so similar to wartime Baghdad. And American police shouldn't be quicker to fire than American soldiers. And I say this as a former military police soldier and as a guy who's been arrested by the police more than once. So many of our policing strategies and tactics are just broken. It's disgraceful for a country as great as ours to consistently get it this wrong. Our children, our police, our entire country, we all deserve and we can do so much better. Reforming all of it, together as a nation, is one of the most critical priorities of our time. We can fix this. We've got a long way to go. Such a long way. It might, and it likely will, take a generation. But we can do it. We have to do it. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's what President Abraham Lincoln once said. And our American house will be forever divided until we change this situation, until we can stop the bleeding, plug this gaping chest wound in our democracy, and find ways to heal and be stronger at the broken places. If we don't, America may not survive. Right now, we're killing each other at a rate that ISIS and Osama bin Laden could have only dreamed of. Right now, we're killing each other in our own streets in ways that Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un are celebrating. Right now, every time an American kills another American, 
our enemies are celebrating. And it's about so much more than just policing. It's about our moral fabric as a nation. It's about our promise to our people as a country. And it's about our national security. Police shootings, mass shootings, school shootings, the coronavirus pandemic. They're killing more Americans inside our own borders than any enemy ever has before. 620,000 Americans died in the Civil War on our own soil, at our own hands. And that was over the course of four years. 568,000 Americans have now died from the coronavirus just in the last year. And every day, more than 100 Americans are killed with guns. From homicides, to suicides, to police shootings, to mass shootings. So in the last year, more Americans have died than died in the entire Civil War. And countless more have been wounded. And countless more forever changed. Not everybody comes out of a war wounded, but nobody comes out unchanged. And after a year of war against the virus, and more than a year of war against ourselves, none of us are unchanged. So our enemies are celebrating, and the stakes have never been higher. And as we continue to die, to mourn, to process, we're also helping, building, planning, and I hope more and more so, uniting. The Derek Chauvin murder trial was definitely different for so many reasons. And maybe most notably, because it was the first time that I think most white people in America were rooting for a guilty verdict. It could be a true turning point in American history. Sort of like one we've had before. In past episodes, I've said that the George Floyd murder could be like the My Lai Massacre of American policing. If you don't know, the My Lai Massacre was one of the most horrific cases of violence committed against unarmed civilians in the entire Vietnam War. On March 16, 1968, a company of American soldiers savagely killed most of the people in the village of My Lai. More than 500 were slaughtered. Women, children, old men. Young girls and women were raped and mutilated, then killed. The unit and the army leaders covered it up for a year before it was finally reported in the press, sparking a firestorm of outrage worldwide. The outrage around the My Lai Massacre and the cover-up drove anti-war sentiment nationwide to new levels and further divided our country over the Vietnam War. And the villain of My Lai was 2nd Lieutenant William Calley. Lieutenant William Calley was the officer Derek Chauvin of the My Lai Massacre. Decades later, My Lai is a case taught to every young service member in basic training as a case study to explore the laws of war. It's a case study in an American war crime. And it's a case study that everyone knows, everyone remembers, and everyone is taught as what wrong looks like. The George Floyd murder can be that case study for American policing. Decades from now, young police officers can know of the George Floyd murder, discuss and dissect the George Floyd murder, and learn to never again repeat the George Floyd murder. If we pass true reform in America, if we never forget if our leaders rise to the moment, if we make them, if we stay vigilant. It's what's needed. 
It's what's required. And it's what true justice for George Floyd will look like. And it's what the better America of our future will look like if we stay vigilant. And few leaders have been more vigilant about dissecting, translating, feeling, sharing, and teaching about George Floyd's murder than our guest in this episode. Our friend, a courageous and dynamic leader who joined us way back in episode 59. Author, activist, comedian, podcaster, multimedia ninja, and public intellectual, Baratunde Thurston. I want to be a martyr in this war. I don't want to hear the same excuses anymore. Baratunde Thurston is a national voice of reason. Soon after joining us on this show last year, he kind of blew up, just as America did. And he's been on America's TV screens, radio shows, and all over Twitter and Clubhouse for most of the last year. Now, he's the host of his own popular podcast, How to Citizen. He's still the author of the bestseller, How to Be Black, and his TED Talk has now been viewed over 5 million times. And he'll soon be the host of his own PBS series called America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston. The series is going to follow him on an adventure-filled journey exploring the diverse array of regions all across the U.S. and how those landscapes shape the way Americans work, play, and interact with the outdoors. From homesteaders living alongside grizzly bears in Idaho, to coal miners turned conservationists in Appalachia, to black surfers catching waves in Long Island, Baratunde is going to introduce us to a vivid cast of American characters whose outdoor lives are shaped by where they live. As a child, Baratunde was a Boy Scout, and he still remembers how to build a fire without matches. And now, Baratunde is a man who's on fire himself. And he's going to help us manage and understand the fires burning all across America, especially right now. And he rejoins us here on Independent Americans in the midst of a barnstorming tour across the American media landscape that spanned from Conan to weekly segments on MSNBC's The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. The biggest verdict of our time is in. And Officer Derek Chauvin is guilty of murder. But is America guilty of celebrating too much? Is this a turning point or just a one-off? Did American political leaders do enough? What are the parallels between the 2020 George Floyd murder video and the 2002 beheading video of journalist Daniel Pearl? What happens next? We dig into all of it with our friend Baratunde. I'll also ask him what it was like to go to high school in D.C. with John Bernthal. Yeah, Baratunde went to high school with our guest from the last episode, actor and activist and movie star John Bernthal. I'm going to ask Baratunde about that, and I'll ask him how he makes his video on TV from his home studio so clear. And of course, I'll ask him to choose pancakes or waffles. Baratunde's a powerful, inspiring, dynamic, next-generation thought leader. He's worked for The Onion, he's produced for The Daily Show, he advised the Obama White House, and he cleaned bathrooms to pay for his education at Harvard. We've known each other for over a decade, and we chop it up for a fun, emotional, and inspiring conversation that you'll want to talk about and share. The jury in the George Floyd murder case has spoken, but America's still deeply divided and hurting badly. But Independent Americans is again bringing light to contrast all the heat of those other political pods. And we're bringing the power of the righteous media five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And we're bringing a bit of heart and perspective to help us all heal and to help you stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom and hope is the oxygen of democracy. And Baratunde is going to give you hope. Independent Americans are growing all across America. And so are next generation activists like Baratunde who are rising to the moment. 
activists that take their activism, not just to the streets, but to our technology platforms and to your TV and into your heart. The brilliant Dr. Jason Johnson was on MSNBC's 11th Hour with Brian Williams this week alongside Baratunde, calling for massive changes that we need after the George Floyd murder. Dr. Johnson was very powerful, and he reminded us that big change is possible. And he brilliantly compared it to when America changed our Department of War to the Department of Defense. That big change happened in August of 1949 after a generation and an entire planet decided they had had enough of war. It was a big change. And America did it. And America kept it. Because leaders and citizens were vigilant. And that should remind us all that now, more than ever, we need to stay vigilant. Staying vigilant is what will get true justice for George Floyd and for countless others who've been killed by police whose names we know and whose names we don't. Vigilance will ensure that this trial was not just a one-off, but a true turning point in American history. Vigilance will ensure that George Floyd is not forgotten. Vigilance will ensure that America moves forward. Vigilance will ensure that justice is truly served. And vigilance will ensure true independence for all Americans, true freedom, the freedom our founders talked about, but too few of our fellow citizens feel today. Because as the great Amos Lee sings in this song, freedom is seldom found by beating someone to the ground, telling them how everything is going to be now. Freedom is seldom found by beating someone to the ground. Welcome to an exploration of justice. Welcome to an examination of who we are as a nation and who we want to be. Welcome to a discussion about what happens now. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 111. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. Uh, it doesn't let up. Every week is bizarre, insane, turbulent, important, dynamic. Uh, and we've got a guest, a returning champion to help us break it all down. A man of the moment. We talked to him a year ago, almost exactly, uh, when Ahmaud Arbery was the biggest story in the news. Now we've got, obviously, the George Floyd story and much more to talk about. And I am very thankful and grateful and happy and humbled and inspired to re-welcome the great and powerful Bera Tunde Thurston to Independent Americans. Hello, my friend. Welcome back. Thank you. Hello, my friend. It's good to be back. The great and powerful. You got me sounding like Oz up in here, man. This is, <laughs> that's, a, that's a heck of an intro. I appreciate it. And it's good to be back with you. You are greater and more powerful. I don't <laughs> want to call it the righteous bump, but uh, you know, ever since you know you came on my show, uh, you know, you got a great new podcast, Had a Citizen. Uh, you're on Conan. And now you got this like almost maybe nightly thing going on with my friend Brian Williams. Uh, <laughs> it feels like it. He's definitely uh, he's becoming a, a third part of my my relationship <laughs> with my wife. We were when I first started going on a show, it was always Friday nights yep. and I was willing to do that during the election season. But after a while, I'm like, I can't keep giving my nights to Brian Williams on my Friday nights, maybe Thursday. So it's roughly every other week, I think, is the approximate rhythm. And it's it feels it feels good. He's he's actually so damn sharp and hilarious. And the shade that he is able to throw so subtly, that's a skill. He he is uniquely skilled and he's <laughs> a very good person. He's been a friend for a long oh, time. Oh, that's good to know. I didn't and know um, I can, he's a great advocate for many causes and was there in the corner of us at IAVA in the early years. Uh, I also 
did a recommendation for him when he was applying to a volunteer fire department. So we're pretty, pretty close. Oh, so you, and I love have, him. you have Brian Williams in your pocket now. No, I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> I was, I was a little bit of a bodyguard for him for a little while, but here's what I told him. I texted him last night and I said, you know, I'm glad you got my friend Baratunde on all the time. Drop Bill Crystal and keep Dr. Johnson. Mm. Because like, and, and that maybe is actually an important thing for us to pivot off to because uh, I want to talk about the media. I want to talk about not just your opinions, but how the country is feeling this and how media is covering it. Yeah. Because you're in a really unique position. You really have you know, catapulted in, in a way, I think over the last year that few people I know have, few people have been on the show and that's got to be a wild ride. But I always ask everybody, you know, how are you and where are you? I know you're still in LA, but I mentioned before we hit live that you have the single clearest video feed of any human I see on television, which is amazing. Um, and, but I want to ask you this, not, not just to throw away, how are you? Um, how are you now in this moment, but also interpreting it for the whole country? Like, you, you know, you're kind of this ambassador and I hate to say, it, I don't know how to say it, like, you're the guy from planet black, come on in and explain <laughs> it for all the white people. Right. And like, that's weird. And it's gotta be hard. And, it, and, and you've been like, you're nonstop in the media for the last wow, couple months. How are you? And what is that like? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me back. Uh, also a year ago, this was angry Americans and you've made an evolution to independent Americans. And I, I applaud that. Uh, congratulations. And I, I like the new digs. Uh, the, the new branding fits, fits you well. I am tired. Um, I remain motivated. I feel like we have this window of slightly more open consciousness. And I want to do what I can to help um, use it. Use this moment that we have. I've found some resonance in my, my own voice. I've gotten much clearer, much deeper, much sharper, much more bold in what I'm willing to say and, and how I've learned to say it and like use my voice almost literally. And that feels like a calling that's coming to fruition. Um, I also have moments where I just want to tap out, you know, mm. and just be like, okay, we're good, right? Like we're good. And I kept thinking that there was a deadline it's like, okay, the, the election day, well, that's not the deadline. We don't know the results. Okay, the Saturday after we found, then we're good. Okay, the, the new year. It's a new year. It's a, why doesn't it feel any different than the last year? Because the actual physics and geography and geology and sociology do not care about our temporal references. All right, but inauguration day, that's going to be, what's the January 6th thing? It's still in the, mm -hmm. okay, maybe it's Black History Month. We'll feel different this year. <laughs> like, And then the Chauvin verdict, maybe that's going to, and it turns out like there is no finish line. Uh, there is a continual evolution and I've got, I've had to learn and continue to learn to pace myself mm. um, and to find restoration along the way. But mm. in this past year, I, um, you catch me at an enthusiastic and energized moment, but I'm feeling worked in a good mm. way. And I feel like mm. the work that I've been doing and a part of, and, and the work so many other people have been doing, I'm just like, yo, folks have been putting in work. And I really mm. appreciate it. And it's nice to be a part of it. Mm. Um, one of my good friends, Brendan Pfeiffer, always reminds me that pressure is a privilege. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that it's also a reflection of leadership. And, and what I've seen is, you know, you're being called on to come into the arena more because you're such an important voice. You know, I, I, well, I'm always interested in seeing how Brian or someone else introduces you, right? And they say, activist, comedian, podcaster. You've become kind of something different. You've become kind of a public intellectual, right? Or a thought leader, however you want to frame it, right? Yeah. To be able to go from, you know, you're doing a show on PBS now, and then you pop over to Conan. You can go kind of uptown, downtown, everywhere in between and help communicate for people yeah. in a way that I can actually relate to because, you know, covering the work that I did, it was like, okay, is it the end of this phase or the surge or Iraq yeah. or Afghanistan. And then it would be something else. It's always something else, but the country keeps calling on you because they need you to make sense of this shit. Yeah. Right. And also I, you have gotten better. And I got to tell you, like I respect it because I've been in those chairs 
uh, obviously under different circumstances, but it's a hard thing to keep throwing your heart out there and to also walk into one fight while another one's happening in your ear, right? Like you're covering the Chauvin trial and another shooting happens and it requires a really dynamic skill set. and I admire it and I appreciate it, but I want to go back to where we started because I think it's important. Like there's some other change happening, right? Like maybe Bill Crystal's gone now. Because like, I think we've had enough of Bill Crystal. Like I, he was wrong to, you know, 15 years ago. He's even more wrong now. I don't know what the hell he's got to add about things like Chauvin and George Floyd and what's happening in this country. But I feel like there is a changing of the guard that is necessary, not just in Washington, but in media, right? Like a couple months ago, it was you and Bill Crystal, you and Bill Okay, let's get the conservative and the liberal, the black guy, the white guy, the yeah. old guy, the young guy, whatever, you know, ESPN type dynamic we want to throw out there. But last night it was you and Dr. Johnson, who I think is maybe the singularly most powerful voice I've heard in the last couple of days. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe it gets broken and it stays that way. Like, have you thought about that? You've got to show your podcast is growing. Like this is a changing of the guard that's overdue in the media too. Maybe. I remember many years ago, I, um, I co-founded this political blog called Jack and Jill politics. Yep. And it was uh, had nothing to do with that organization, for those who might be familiar with it, which is kind of like coming-of-age uh, social g- group for Black families that are largely living in white spaces and want to have a sense of Black community. But my uh, co-founder and I, Cheryl Conti, we were trying to diversify the set of Black voices that were heard in media. And blogging was the way to do it. This is pre-Twitter, pre-what Facebook has become now, which is, I guess, a democracy-destabilizing advertising platform. Mm-hmm. And we... Um, we put out different versions of blackness. And then my book, How to Be Black, continued that tradition more with just my voice in a slightly different tone, but the same spirit. And I feel like the moment that I just had with Dr. Jason Johnson, it was rare. Usually they, they tokenize everybody. Like you said, let's get a conservative and a liberal. Let's get a white person and a black person. And you get this Brady Bunch spread mm-hmm. uh, of just one. You can never like have a dynamic or range within. And I had heard Dr. Johnson earlier in the day, uh, right after the verdict, and he was expressing such a deep level of pessimism that I actually had to turn it off because I was like, I wasn't ready to hear that, even though I understood where he was coming from. And many parts of me agreed with where he was coming from. I need to hear that message right there. I just need to be mm. quiet and I had to mute everybody. Mm. I heard this verdict. I need to sit with it. I need to shed a tear. I need to hug my wife. I needed to process the past nearly exactly a year. And sharing the screen with him was, I think, a beautiful moment. Uh, I hope for both of us, because we didn't say exactly the same thing. (laughs) Um, And yet I think we both honored what the other was bringing. Mm. He was bringing a type. We were both bringing a fire. It was a different type of heat. Um, Yeah. But it was, I think, both necessary heat. And so mm. I love that that Brian, to his credit, kind of like just sat back <laughs> and and gave even more of the mic and let us go and extended past the break and let's keep going. And I always wish with those types of things there was more time. That mm. media format isn't for it. This format that you and I are having is much actually better for it or, or yeah. live interactive things like a clubhouse or something. You can really keep it moving. But I, I took from that... Um, he expressed a part of my heart that is, is hurting and is pessimistic about will we really break this cycle of mm. dehumanization, of extraordinary racism, of commitment to violently uh, discarding our fellow Americans uh, of a certain hue and balancing that with the part of me, which he did not seem to have in him at that time, of needing to maintain hope and not as a, for me, it's not um, just because I want to, right? It's partly because I have to. And I think it's my predisposition to want to believe and to not see the sacrifices of the past as just inevitably um, not converting into something better for the future. So Mm. I'm holding all that. And I just thought it was a really, it was a cool opportunity because when he first started talking, I was just sitting there listening. I was like, Damn, bro. Like, and then I hadn't yeah, heard about yeah. uh, Micaiah, the, the young girl in, um, in Ohio. So he broke news to me on the news. I'm trying to just sit straight and not look up things on the side. Yeah. Uh, 
So yeah, thank you. It, changing of yeah. the guard is a good way to put it, but that is a structural change too. It's not just about who's on MSNBC yeah. for the hit. It's about who we listen to and how to explain the world to us. And, yeah. and some of that's business model, some of that's personality, some of that's media format, and it's all mm. up in the air. Mm. And it's, it's kind of the story within the story, right? Because I don't think enough Americans are thinking about not just the news that you've been seeing, but who and how it's been brought to you. Yeah. Right. And, and to have, you know, it's very, a very different parallel, but I remember being the only combat veteran on TV talking about Iraq. Yeah. Okay. Debating pundits, debating news anchors, debating <laughs> Sean Hannity. Right. Yeah. And looking around going real who warriors. The fuck you know? <laughs> are you to even talk to me about yeah. this? Right. Yeah. And you've been doing that a lot, frankly, in the media. Right. And then there came a point where they would have, Vets fight vets, right? So then you, you know, and then, then the, the true evolution was vets actually have multiple viewpoints of vets yeah. having conversations and vets hosting and vets move. Like that was true social movement and representation. And I feel like that's starting to happen now um, for, for, for black voices in the media. Um, and it's evolving and it's, it's still got so far to go because it still feels for me really tokenized and it feels really condensed and it feels really simplified. And I know you are, are one of the leaders in pushing that forward. Um, but I really think there, there's also when someone just talks like they're not on TV, yeah. there's a difference. And I think that's what you do and what Dr. Johnson did. And it kind of breaks that, that wall, that, mm. that wall with the audience where it feels like they're actually just talking and not, not, not trying to keep in a box. Yeah. And I think that's really necessary right now because that change has to happen. But let me, let me ask you this, like, what is, uh, you've been, you've been great in breaking down all the crazy shit that's been happening in the last few years, but what do you want to say or have heard Baratunde about the Chauvin verdict that maybe you haven't been able to say anywhere else or hasn't been said? Yeah. I mean, uh, that's good, man. You're pretty good at this. Um, <laughs> I tried to avoid the trial. Mm. You know, like, it's just, we've, we've all been traumatized. In some ways, the whole world was forced to watch this snuff film, you know, mm. over and over and over again. And then within our country, to have um, a major segment of our political establishment try to pretend it didn't happen or, you know, take some line that the defense attempted, which is George Floyd was on drugs and that's why he's dead. And ways to dismiss the significance of his life and the way it was taken from him. Uh, and I just didn't, I was like, I've done my duty here. <laughs> you know, like I don't need to resubject myself to this. So I watched a few highlights, but I didn't go deep on it because it's just, it's still too painful. And with the verdict, I, I didn't jump for joy. I just like let out air. Mm. And, and I took in air at a different depth. Um, there was something like the release when the networks finally called it for Biden. And it was just like, oh, yeah. just... I think we've been carrying this weight and because of the powerful symbol, so many people put so much weight on George Floyd, metaphorically, you know, Derek Chauvin did it literally, but the world was like, they turned Derek Chauvin killing him into him doing something. It was the George Floyd incident. It was right. George Floyd's movement. It was the George Floyd protest. And it's like, man, this poor guy didn't ask for any of this. I think he just wanted to buy some stuff from a convenience store and yeah. get on with his life. So I guess what I haven't expressed is um, appreciation for the involuntary service of George Floyd. Um, mm. Exhaustion still and sort of recognition of the size of the weight that we all have been carrying because he has stood in for so many failures that predate and postdate him mm. and, and will continue you know, and, I, mm -hmm. and I've had to temper. I want to celebrate. I want to feel super great. I don't feel super great. I just feel a bit of yeah. relief. They, um, we're going to have more. And there, Rodney King is, it's not like we went from Rodney King to George Floyd. You know, right. 
Like there right. are countless, almost literally, and and forgotten names in between there who were the ones that were going to change it all. Yeah. And Amadou Diallo, that's the, yeah. that's the name yeah. for yeah. now. Yeah. Unless we dig deeper. Mm. And, and, and yeah. sorry, good. No, you go. You, you, you picked up on it. You called it a snuff film. Yeah. And I think that, that this is a conversation we need to have because for a long time we didn't have film. And then if we did, there was a debate about whether or not to show it. And these are going to seem like reach parallels, but when okay. you think about the American media, especially, I think it's important. They didn't used to show beheading videos. Mm. Remember the early days of Iraq, yeah. Afghanistan, ISIS, right? And, and there's something else they never showed, which was dead American soldiers. Right. They intentionally, there was, a, there was a secret compact or an unspoken truth. You don't show dead American soldiers. You can show a million dead Al-Qaeda. You can show dead Iraqi kids, but you cannot show American dead soldiers, right? And, and when those images started to come out, when the coffins started to come out, the images of Dover, that became a tipping point in national consciousness. And I think there's a, I don't know what the, what the parallel is, but it's there yeah. in that now we are talking about something that we really haven't seen or they haven't let us see or there hasn't been captured but also we have to talk about what it means to see that right like there's a family that watches daniel pearl get beheaded over and mm -hmm. over again right to watch george floyd's family has to watch that over and over you're, you know you're walking through an airport or you're you're in a supermarket and maybe you see it like it's a very emotional thing and personal thing for some people that but i think there's also a media construct around it that is worth pulling apart and when i thought about the case and the, and the ruling, right? And I don't know if it's justice. I think it's some accountability. Uh, for me, what, there was something that jumped out was it felt like the first time most white people were rooting for him to be guilty. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was another piece, <laughs> right, where it, it felt like it wasn't a win, but it was like breaking the streak on a dynasty, mm -hmm. right? It mm -hmm. was like, okay, you knocked out the Patriots, or whoever the bad guy, but can you keep them out? Yeah. Right. Are they going to come back next year, do what they always do? And, 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 and it feels like the streak is broken and the work that's required now to keep that going is, is the hard stuff. So what do you, well, something that jumped out at me very Tunde was when Biden yesterday spoke and he let Kamala Harris go first. Right? That was, that was big symbolically, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, visually, um, what did you want to see that you didn't see? Like a lot of people fuck this up too. That's another, it becomes a Rorschach test. Like yeah. Pelosi's words were, were just out of touch, out of tune, wrong, whatever. Like some people got this wrong. What did you really want to see that maybe you didn't see? It could be in the media, politics, wherever. To show you that it, that it, that it won't just be a one-time thing and that it, we can keep this change happening. Yeah. So um, first of all, I love this idea of white people actually rooting for this one to uh, for Derek Chauvin to be found guilty. That is rare. And people kind of retreat to their tribes um, and they were programmed to. And I think Chauvin made it, he made being white like that version of being white really bad. Like he was bad mm. for brand white. You know what I mean? Like mm. cops were like, okay, come on, man. Like really, if you're going to do it, like do it in an alley, make it fast. You know what I'm saying? Like this is, this is too drawn out. It's too, there's no, you had no possible cover story for that. Even, you know, the Oscar Grant thing, even people pulling the wrong weapon, which is its own issue and of competence, basic training. This was not that. This is so deliberate. And so I heard John Legend say it was irrefutable. Right. We just mm -hmm. couldn't. So he, Chauvin gave white people a, a good reason to abandon that supremacist team, that simplified team that we just root for our side whenever someone charges us with something. Uh, what I would have loved to see, uh, I think there were there were savvy reasons to make sure by the prosecution that this case was not an indictment of policing. This is not about the whole department. Like Arredondo, the chief, came out and says, he's not even one of us. But really, like, he's been one of y'all for a long time. Mm -hmm. And he had complaints against him for a long time. And... He was absolutely one of you. In fact, the reason he behaved the way he did, and I'm projecting a little bit and speculating on his mindset, but seeing that video too many times, he had the ultimate swagger and mm -hmm. casual swagger, mm -hmm. which says, I can, I can definitely do this. Like, he wasn't acting like someone doing something wrong that he thought right. was wrong, nor were his colleagues. 
none of whom stopped him. So there is there is a it is about policing. It is about the culture of this, the way we try to do public safety in this hyper limited fashion where we overarm people, under train them, expect the world and cover up all their mistakes most of the time. And this one time, I think, has a risk of serving as an excuse for people to say, see, Mm. the system works. We got Mm. rid of the bad apple. Now back to business as usual, which is still a thousand people being killed by cops every year. Right, Like that number hasn't changed. Mm. So when we talk reckoning and we say this is a seminal moment and it's a sea change, you this big language to represent big change. If the results are the same, it's not big change. Mm. So Mm. I, I wanted to, it's a hard message to communicate because I don't want to be like, this doesn't matter. I'm not saying that. Yep. But I also don't want to be naive. Yeah. And I don't want to waste uh, an opportunity to like, okay, let's dig. Let's dig even mm. deeper. I think Biden mm. has done great. I thought what uh, Vice President Harris said and the fact that she had helped write this uh, George Floyd criminal justice reform and policing bill, that was a great for her to take the lead. I thought President Biden, the man's pretty good. Like for, as someone who didn't vote for him in the primary, I'm like, I'm actually happy that this is our president. It feels nice mm-hmm. to feel that. And the people, what I really appreciate most, not most, but significantly is there's another fight happening. And it's about who is in the executive interpreting this constitution on behalf of the people. Who is upholding justice in the Department of Justice. Right. And he called right. out by name, Vanita Gupta and Kristen Clark. And... Yo, I went to college with Kristen Clark. She was the president of the Black Students Association when I was there. She's a few years older than me. And I see this Republican apparatus trying to destroy her, mm-hmm. trying to twist her words, trying to mm-hmm. make her out so that anything she does, if she is and when she is confirmed, will be discredited. The same way they tried with Obama saying he hates all white people, like this man hated his own mama. Mm-hmm. And it's an old trick, but it's, a, it's old because it's effective. Mm-hmm. And mm. so I just, I love that Biden proactively promoted, defended, stood for her, had her back. Um, yeah. Cause we need that too. Cause it's people like Kristen Clark and Vanita Gupta in places like the department of justice who are going to help us go deeper than mm. just the temporary necessary, but insufficient victory mm. of a just outcome in an mm. unjust system. Mm. I think, I think a year ago I called the George Floyd murder, which is what I called it then and we'll call it now, uh, had the potential to be the My Lai massacre of American mm-hmm. policing. Mm-hmm. Like My Lai happened. Yeah. It was yeah. documented. It was exposed. And then the question came, what happens to Lieutenant Kelly? What happens to the Department of Defense? And then I go through basic training, you know, 25 years later, and I'm taught me lie. I'm taught don't be Lieutenant Kelly. Yeah. Right now, that's the change we need to see now. Don't be Chauvin, right? Don't be that officer. Don't do what he did. And I think that there's if, if the cops and the systems and the policy and the national leadership can all ram that down, and that's what you got to do. Yeah, You got to scare the shit out of people not to be Derek Cali. And you have to explain and unpack it and dissect it when they're recruits and before they even go in. That's the opportunity I think we have. And you're shepherding through shepherding us through all of it in a way where your heart is almost outside your body. And I'm grateful for that, for your leadership and your vulnerability. I know I have to let you go. Yes. Uh, but you also went to school with our last guest. Episode 110, John Bernthal. Yes. The Punisher and Baratunde went to high school together <laughs> with my best friend, Todd, and a bunch of other random dudes. We know. You, what do you want to say about the fact that you're following, you know, your old classmate that is now you know, Lee Iacocca and, uh, and the Punisher yeah. and all these other amazingly Bernthal, burn things. <laughs> I, I want to, I want to hang out with John on a, on a media platform. We'll get to do that. Maybe we'll do it here. Maybe we'll do it on his thing. Maybe we'll do it on my thing. But I love that he was on this show. Uh, John and I hadn't been very much in touch, uh, except briefly, I, I auditioned for the Punisher series. <laughs> uh, really? I did a, I did a screen test. It wasn't a full audition to be the corpsman that is like his, his right man. Clearly a better man got that job because I am not, I'm half that dude's size. It just wouldn't work the same. Also not really an actor, 
but he was kind. He's like, oh, you should have told me you were going in for that. I could have helped you out a little bit. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for John's unique position in the culture. Mm. Um, I, I know John relatively well. We weren't the closest friends, but there was respect. Um, and I respect how he's reflected on known privilege of his past. I, I respect his alignment with and exposure to cultures of military and police uh, and also just DC. He repped DC statehood hard on the show. Taxation without representation, not a good thing. So I think what he's doing with his conversations uh, around policing with people who've been on both sides of it in terms of gang membership and other types of gang membership in the, in the gang of blue uh, in law enforcement is productive and is helpful. And he's one mm. of the, he can be one of the bridges that we need to help this communication happen. We need Dr. Jason Johnson. We need John Bernthal too. And I, I was really excited to see that you had him on the show. Your energy was great together. And, um, that's all I got to say right now. I got some questions about some things he did in high school, but that's not for Eric. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen. We'll bring them together. I mean, we got to build these bridges and maybe, shit, maybe even bring in Bill Crystal. Uh, we got, we got. Uh, I'm going to send you some new gear. Great. I'm rocking the new Independent Americans gear, some righteous gear. We even got some camping mugs I'm going to send your way. I got to ask you to opine on the final question as a returning champion that I ask of all our guests. There is no middle ground. You must choose one. Baratunde, Thurston, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Why? Because they hold the syrup better. Pancakes are a syrup delivery devices and waffles are a superior product when you take that function into account. It's math. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> it's math. The great baritone Thurston. I also want to say one thank you for the uncle nearest. Um, I've introduced it to so many people, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law. It's like, it's a family drink now. So I appreciate you. Yeah, it's right brother. here on screen. We'll get you some more. Okay. Thank you for all you do, my friend. Thank you. Stay vigilant. That was an awesome conversation, and we all need some Uncle Nearest after the last week and this whole last year. But keep an eye out for Baratunde. He's bringing it, and he's probably on your TV tonight somewhere, and he continues to bring heart and perspective and humor and hope. And we need to pour that on. Keep it coming, even more than the whiskey or all the weed this week for 420, because hope is the oxygen of democracy. And we got to keep it blooming and growing all spring and into the summer. And long after the emotion of the George Floyd case subsides. But this week, for many, there was a massive wave of hope. And we need it now. And we need to continue to ride out this strange and hard and emotional time. And I hope this show brings you that hope. Because that hope is the oxygen of our democracy. And it's even more contagious than the virus. Maybe even more so after this week. So keep it spreading. We can all be like Baratunde and like all our recent guests, like John Bernthal and Bianca Goladriga and Wes Moore and Jake Wood and so many others. Super spreaders of hope. If you haven't heard those recent shows or our old shows, go back and check them out. They'll give you that dose of hope. And spread the show and that hope wherever you can. Hope is the air our democracy needs and the hope we all need. So take a big, deep breath and keep breathing. As you can probably hear, I had a cold this week. And for a few hours, I thought it might be COVID. It kind of scared the shit out of me for a bit. And it scared my wife. And you can still hear it in my voice. But I'm good. And I'm going to keep breathing, even if it's hard. Especially when it's hard. So come on and do it with me. Ready? <sighs> There it is. Keep breathing in that oxygen and that hope, even if you're tired, even if you're worn out, and encourage others to do the same. Like all those in the Floyd family that never lost hope, and like the prosecutors and the activists, and like the good cops, the ones that are hoping too that America can change and policing can change. And they hope they can still have your support, even if it's hard. Remember, cops are not all Derek Chauvin. Most of them aren't. And many of them are first responders and volunteers helping to get the vaccine out right now and helping in ways big and small. Like a friend of mine who's a cop at my son's elementary school. 
He's also a coach in our little league, and he's a dad of four. He's a cop, and he's a helper. Like my cousin, who's been a cop at the Port Authority in New York and New Jersey for over two decades. For years, she was undercover and doing really hard shit, especially after 9-11. She and so many other cops, they're still helpers. And you can be a helper too. Spread the light, the hope, the good information. Share the info about the expanding vaccination sites especially. And especially with older folks or folks who are having a hard time getting there. Share the info that hope is on the way and help them get that hope. And share good info. It's how we fight the misinformation and the conspiracy theories and QAnon and the extremists and the enemies of our future. And it's how we fight the virus. We can all be helpers. And we can get there if we just hang in there and if we stick together and be helpers, just like Mr. Rogers told us about. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Today, my kids were again watching Mr. Rogers, and they watched an old Mr. Rogers episode where he went snorkeling, a rare episode where Mr. Rogers was in a wetsuit. So even Mr. Rogers is getting out nowadays. There are leaders spreading hope faster than the stupid, leaders setting the example from all backgrounds, political, geographic, racial, social, leaders who show that everybody can be a helper, like the activists and like the cops and the teachers, and the coaches, and the artists, and even the assholes. Yep, even assholes can be helpers. Even if only with their own assholy example. And that includes a guy who hasn't been helping America much in these last few years. Ted Nugent. Yeah, Ted Nugent. Aging rocker, COVID denier. He now has COVID. <laughs> Nugent's been a nut. Supporting the NRA in a crazy way, opposing animal rights, hating Obama, loving Trump, and echoing all kinds of anti-Chinese rhetoric about the virus. But this week, he went public with a surprise after denying COVID was real, after all this time. But this week, he went public. And actually, really, it might help. I have an announcement to make. Today is uh, the 19th, is that right? The 19th of April, 2021. During clusterfuck pandemic, Chinese virus attack 21, I was tested positive today. I got the Chinese shit. Actually, it's the only thing I don't have is the shit. Boy, I got a stuffed up head, body aches. My God, what a pain in the ass. I literally can hardly crawl out of bed the last few days. But I did. I crawled. I don't look like I've been crawling, do I? <laughs> so I was officially tested positive for COVID-19 today. But here's a great, and we'll go into the gory detail. All right, enough. He's awful, but stick with me here. He's actually helping. The people who loyally follow Ted Nugent are often folks who think the virus doesn't exist. Folks who still think this is a hoax. Folks who won't take the vaccine. And maybe hearing crazy-ass Ted Nugent talk about how slammed he was will wake them up, will move them, will scare them. Even if it's just a few, it's a few more. And it's progress. And it can help. So maybe like Lieutenant Callie and like Officer Derek Chauvin, Ted Nugent is an example of what not to do. But that's an example, too. And one that I'll take if it gets more people to take the vaccine. So don't be like Ted Nugent. Don't be a denier. Get the vaccine. Have the courage. And don't be like Ted Nugent, but be like a real musical legend. Dolly Parton. Be like the Dalai Lama. Like four presidents. Like my mom, Sammy Hagar, Ron DeSantis, Sarah Palin, John Stewart, and so many others. Get the vaccine, damn it. And help others get it. And skip the rest of Ted Nugent's racist bullshit. And skip his music. It's not really that good anyway. But this is... Well, I'm a crawling king snake, but crawl up on 
This is a public service announcement. There is new Black Keys music. Yes, and this is it. It's a new single called Crawling Kingsnake, which is kind of what Nugent is like, but not really. But the Black Keys have a new record coming, and that is reason for celebration and for hope. On May 14th, the Black Keys will release their 10th studio album, Delta Cream. The record is going to celebrate the band's roots, featuring Mississippi Hill country blues standards that they've loved since they were teenagers, including songs by L.A. Burnside and Junior Kimbrough and others. So get the new song and get ready for the record and get ready for more good music coming. Lots of good new music coming this summer. Throughout the pandemic, a lot of artists have been working hard on some really good stuff. And this could be one of the greatest summers of music and innovative live shows we've ever seen. But if you want to get out and hear it live, you got to have that damn shot. So listen to me and Dolly and don't be a chicken squat. Get the shot. It's an easy way you can be a helper. My thanks to the Black Keys for the new music and my thanks to all the helpers that made this episode possible, especially my friend Baratunde Thurston. Check out his podcast. It's called How to Citizen. You can get it anywhere you get your podcast. Check out his book, How to Be Black. Follow him on Twitter and get ready for his new PBS show. It's going to be fantastic. And watch for him roughly every other Friday night at 11 p.m. on the 11th hour with my buddy Brian Williams, So I hope he'll join us on this show at one point soon, too. Independent Americans of the future, and Baratunde is yet another example. He's a true helper. And thank you to some other helpers you may see in the media. Thanks to my friend Mark Preston, who has a show on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, called Full Stop. He's the CNN senior political analyst, and he's got me on his show this weekend. It's going to air Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern, and it'll also air on Sunday at 1 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern. It's on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124, full stop with Mark Preston. We're going to talk about the Afghanistan drawdown. We're going to talk about the Russian troops in the Ukraine and in the Arctic and the entire national security situation now that Biden's been in office for 100 days. Check it out on Sirius XM, POTUS Channel 124. And I'll post some clips on social media if I can. Thanks also to the helpers at the Righteous Media team, especially creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, the birthday boy. Happy birthday, my friend and precise Paula Hernandez. This crew is making my show possible and making everything we do at Righteous Media possible, including our new show. You've heard about it. I want to remind you, everybody and their mother has a podcast. That is what it's called. And episode three is now up. Spring is here and the air is getting fresher. The birds are chirping and Rick and Sharon are in full bloom. Rick's got a great and wild childhood story that will leave you chuckling or maybe even seen. Sharon explains how she finds joy in a lack of schedules and the realization that robots don't need lights to work. And speaking of lights on, remember when late night TV would go off the air after the late, late show and test patterns and the national anthem would come on? If you're too young to remember, Sharon's going to teach you. It's another warm and fun episode of Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast. Our favorite mom and son in podcasting are bringing more warmth to your ears with every download. And episode three is like another warm cup of cocoa with your mom or your best friend or multiple cats. And it has talk about robots. Here's a clip. (laughs) So I heard this thing whirring, whirring when I went into my studio the other day Mm -hmm. and all the lights were out. Like in the room, it was dark. I turned on the light for it, and then I realized I didn't have to do that. Yeah, robots don't care. <laughs> it's very, it's it's everything so disconcerting and so out of balance these days. I think that- I was like turning, but I talked to it, and I t- say, you know, you did a really good job. You missed over there. I also was talking <laughs> to the robot. Uh, I got called out, and girlfriend's like, "So you're in the you're in the phase of quarantine." Where you're holding a glass of red wine and yelling at the the robot, the vacuum. Oh, that's great. And I was like, so I am. So I am. <laughs> Everybody and their mother has a podcast is like a warm bath of nice and lovely podcasting content. It'll soothe your soul and leave you feeling better than when you started. 
And as with every Righteous Media production, it'll bring you the five eyes: independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. You get it everywhere you get your pods or at everybodypod.us. That's the shortcut. It's good stuff. And we got more shows coming, so stay tuned. Righteous Media is just getting started. And I hope you thought this episode of Independent Americans was good stuff. If you liked it, go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. If you think about giving one stars, uh, go over and check out Ted Nugent's podcast. But be sure to subscribe for free and share. You can visit Independent Americans on social media and check out, of course, independentamericans.us. Links to all of our social are there and our Patreon. And we've got new merch. It's hot. It's ready to go. If you watch the video of this episode at independentamericans.us, you can see me rocking the sky blue surfer theme righteous t-shirt, which I love, and the dope new Independent Americans hats. You can represent for Independent Americans everywhere with these very cool hats. They're flex fit. They fit even my big head, and they look pretty sharp. You see all that merch at independentamericans.us. You can also see video of this conversation and over 100 other episodes with everybody from Susan Rice to Mick Foley to Mike Shinoda. And please be sure to subscribe to the Righteous Media YouTube page. And you can join us for exclusive access and events by becoming a member of our Patreon community. Just five bucks, you get access to our events, our guests, merch discounts, and exclusive content. And thank you to all of our Patreon insiders. We can't do it without you. And here's a little thank you from us. Use the code VIGILANT at checkout, and you get 10% off all merch purchases. That's 10% off if you use the code VIGILANT. And we had a great monthly Zoom happy hour last Friday with our Patreon members. It was awesome. It was engaging. It was fun. Had by all. And I wore a bit of a costume, but it was good. Big thanks to everybody who joined us, especially Mark Reed, Anna Frula, Zach Garcia, Nate Holdstein, Mike Tipton, Dan Moynihan, and Jane. All of you tuned in for that awesome happy hour. Hope to see you again next month. Thanks for the support. And of course, my massive thanks to my wife and two feisty and ferocious little boys. Football is now underway. I talked about it last episode, and I am happy to report that your L.A. Express juniors team is now 1-0. Yes, people, we dominated the Chicago Blitz 22 to nothing. More importantly, we had a lot of fun, and we learned the game. I'm very proud of these kids. I'm very proud of all of them, and I will keep you updated and let you know that T-ball is now starting. And my son's team is not named after a USFL team, but it is named after one of my favorite teams. My son is playing on the Giants. Not the New York football Giants, it's the San Francisco Giants, but that is the name of my son's team, and I couldn't be more excited. Flag football is back, T-ball is back, and you may not know this, bowling alleys are back. Yep, it's true, and my son and I went to one this week. And when you're five years old, and you walk into a true bowling alley arcade for the first time in your life, it is a very special experience. It's exceptionally special if it's completely empty and all yours because it's midweek daytime during the pandemic. That's what happened this week. My son and I went to the arcade, and it was also the cleanest arcade I've ever seen. And just because it was amazing, it had a Mario Kart game, a full side-by-side Mario Kart game, which is my son's favorite. We ate pizza bites, and we drank soda, and we ate too much candy, and we played skee-ball, and afterward we washed our hands for about three hours. But it happened, because bowling alleys are back, and arcades are back. And in that arcade was also an incredible driving game, so I want to make a recommendation to you based off driving. Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix is a series that has me completely hooked. It has my son hooked as well. It is my new favorite show, and it has now forever made me an F1 fan. And I share this with you because my son and I have decided that we want to go to Singapore for the Grand Prix. And maybe the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin in October. I don't know if we're going to go this year or next year, whenever the pandemic permits. But we are going to go to the F1 Grand Prix. It's something to look forward to. Because things are getting better out there. Thanks to everyone's vigilance, things are getting better. But we ain't done yet. And as proof of that, right after we got home from the arcade, my son's school got shut down for the rest of the week due to COVID. So we're back to remote. We ain't done yet, folks. We got to stay strong. We got to stay tough. 
Our Independence Day will be coming. Our Independence from the Virus Day will be coming. A day when we can all declare our independence and our freedom from the virus. But we got to keep the progress going and don't let up. America is on the comeback, but we're not done yet. We got to keep this movement growing week by week, and we will stay vigilant because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. With hope in our hearts, it's the path to better days. So keep the faith and pass the hope. Pass it. And know you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. We're all in this together. From Baratunde Thurston to the family of George Floyd, to Ted Nugent, to the Black Keys, to Mario, Luigi, Yoshi, Bowser, and the rest of the Mario Kart crew. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay frosty. Better days are ahead and lots of good music. So stay vigilant, America. <laughs>